You're listening to a talk from Grace Church Barrow, a local church community for Holbeck, Ruse and beyond. Our current teaching series is called Rebuild, looking at the Old Testament book of Haggai. Today's message comes from Haggai chapter 2, verse 10 to 19. So, um, stupid little story. A little girl who was sat with her mother in, um, in, the, um, in, in their house, and the little girl said to, said to her mum, Mum, where is, where is God? Where is God? And, um, you know, the, the mum, mum was a Christian and, you know, she, she knew, well, you know, God's, God's God, right? So she said, well, well, God's everywhere, darling. God's everywhere. And so um, the little girl asked the next question and said, well, um, is God in the kitchen then? And the mum was thinking about this. Well, uh, yes, uh, yeah, God is in the kitchen as well. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and the girl asked another question. She said, well, um, is God on the kitchen sideboard? Mm, yes, God, God, is, God is on the kitchen sideboard. Um, and then the, the girl asked her final question. Is God in the cookie jar? And the mum said, well... Yeah, God's, God's in the cookie jar. To which the girl said, got him! And grabbed a biscuit and ate it. Um, stupid little story. Um, the girl thought that she could basically get God, didn't she? That was the kind of point of the illustration. And in some ways, that kind of approach to God is quite um, pervasive. It's quite powerful. It's quite um, popular. The idea that actually we can basically get God to do the things that we want him to do, uh, get him to be a means to our ends, get him to be a kind of a cosmic genie, if you like, for our wishes and our purposes. Um, you might call this a kind of a, um, a, a, a got him kind of theology, a got him approach to God, the idea that actually we can get God to do what we want him to do based on what we do. And that's what uh, Haggai is going to be particularly putting his finger on this morning as we look at Haggai chapter 2. And the big question really that we're thinking about is, um, how do we receive God's blessing? How do we receive God's blessing? It's actually a really important question really, isn't it? Because I guess we would say we want to receive God's blessing. Um, who wouldn't want to receive God's blessing? And so how do we receive God's blessing? Do we have to do what that girl did and effectively have a kind of a, a got him kind of approach? Do we follow some steps? Uh, do we do these things X, Y, Z? And then we can uh, be assured that we will receive God's blessing. More on that in a moment. But if you've, if you'd, if you've not been with us in Haggai the last few weeks, and uh, really welcome as we join us for this third week of four. Haggai was, um, is a book of the Old Testament set at 5, 520 BC. And God's people, Israel, have just returned back to Jerusalem, to the promised land, after their time in exile under God's judgment. And in fact, 20 years or, eight or so, 18 years have passed since their return and yet things hadn't really changed. And so the book of Haggai talks us through Haggai as, as God's prophet 
um, bringing God's words to his people and calling them to get on with building the temple of God. You see, they'd returned to God's land and yet God's temple was just a ruin. Uh, And so uh, he called them to return to this task of temple building. For them back in the Old Testament, the temple uh, was a symbol of the presence of God. And so Haggai calls them to turn back to this task, knowing that God is with them. And we've been thinking about how actually as Christians living this side of the cross and resurrection as Christians who, are, who understand the Old Testament and the way that the Bible unfolds itself, we know that actually we're not called to build God's temple in some sense of a physical building, whether that's a physical building in Jerusalem or buildings uh, here in England. No, our mission is to make disciples of all nations. That's God's big project. That's God's big task now. Um, He's building a people, a people around Jesus. People from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, uh, as Revelation, the book of Revelation tells us. And that people is a people orientated to Jesus, who've turned to Jesus. And we see that people being built up in the local church and in healthy churches growing together uh, as expressions of that ultimate gathering of everyone around Jesus that we will see one day when Jesus returns. So our task is to make disciples. That's God's great building project. And so as we think about how Haggai applies to us, we're not trying to build a physical temple, but we're seeking to build a spiritual temple. People, you and I growing as disciples and seeking others who might know him too. And so we come to this chapter, um, this passage today, Haggai chapter 2. Uh, verse 10 which is where Haggai begins a third a third sermon a third message Uh, the book is made up of four messages as Haggai addresses the people and today is our third one and it begins in verse 10 Uh, it's now set in the ninth month which was probably around December and it's probably about four months that have passed since since Haggai's first speech and about three months since the anniversary of the building work restarting. But Haggai is going to bring us a warning. Uh, He's going to tell us to beware the danger of a got him approach to God's blessing that minimizes our sin and reduces God's grace. He's going to warn us about a got him approach to God's blessing. I wonder if, yeah, if someone asked you, how do we receive the blessing of God? What would you say? Um, the people in Haggai's day were engaged in this building project. They were, they were set now on building the temple. They wanted to receive God's blessing. And yet Haggai warns them, beware this idea that we can kind of get God in a box. And we can kind of, if we just do X, Y, Z, then he will bring the blessing that we expect. Uh, to do that is to minimize both our sin and, and is to reduce the wonder of God's grace. So have a look at what um, Haggai says in verse 11. This is what God told, tells him to, to say. Uh, and it might sound slightly strange as you first read it. Uh, ask the priests what the law says. Now, the priests were the people in the Old Testament in the nation of Israel who were responsible for the sacrifices, but they were also responsible for understanding the law of God, the word of God. And so Haggai calls the people to ask the priests a question. Verse 12. 
If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? Now, consecrated in the Old Testament just means set apart. In in the Old Testament uh, law, God's people were to set things apart for God. Uh, they were considered holy. Holy means set apart. And and the question here is, um, if something is holy, set apart, and it touches something that isn't holy, does that thing now become holy too? And the priests would have known the answer to this question. That The answer from the Old Testament law is no. That's what they say in verse 12. Then Haggai asked them another question. Verse 13. If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Now, again, in the Old Testament, the language of being defiled doesn't just mean something being dirty, but being spiritually unclean. And in the Old Testament law, you had things that were spiritually unclean as a reminder of our, of our sinfulness. And Haggai says, if you have something that is defiled, a, a dead body, and someone um, has touched that dead body and they themselves are therefore defiled and they touch something else, does that become defiled? And the priests say, yes, that, that was the principle that they had in the Old Testament. Uncleanness spread. Now, we know that, sadly, the reality of something of that now at the moment, don't we? With the coronavirus, we know the principle of something that is contagious and the way that it so easily catches. Well, in the Old Testament, spiritual, being spiritually defiled was, catch, was catching you could become defiled from by touching something that was spiritually defiled. It was a picture of, of our sin. And so the answer to that question is yes. In a sense, nothing revolutionary about what the priests have said or what Haggai has asked. This is what the people knew. They knew that actually um, if something was defiled, then it, could, um, it would make other things defiled. But then here comes the kicker. Uh, here comes Haggai's point in verse 14. Haggai says, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is, de- is defiled. See what Haggai's saying? He's saying, just as it is this principle from the Old Testament, so it is with you. As you engage in, in my building project, building the temple, whatever you do and whatever you offer is defiled. The point is, if you are if you are a sinner, then that work that you are engaged in is, is defiled too. Um, we know the principle of a bad apple, don't we? A bad apple spoiling the whole batch. You know, you can, have, you can get all your apples from the orchard. We used to have a, little, uh, a few orchard uh, apple trees at the back of the garden um, I grew up in. And uh, mum and dad would try and collect the apples every, kind of, every time the apples fell and, and try and store as many as you could away, wrap them up in newspaper, put them in the in the shed or whatever, somewhere nice and cold and dry. And yet, if you had a bad apple in the box, it would infect the whole batch. You take the kids to a chicken pox party, and the idea is that you, uh, if, if there's someone who's got chicken pox, you want the kids to get it. And the point here is that Haggai is saying that is the case with our spiritual state. 
God's people were defiled. They had turned away from God. That was why they went into exile. They had, when they returned back to the promised land, they hadn't given themselves to the task that they were called to do. Um, And so they were defiled. And so God says, just because um, you are now engaged in this building project, don't think that that suddenly makes the work you're engaged with holy. Don't expect to receive God's blessing simply because you're now doing something that is good. If actually your hearts are defiled. See what he's saying? He's saying, beware the danger of a got him approach to God's blessing. You think, oh, because we're doing the right thing now, we can kind of receive God's blessing. Haggai says, well, no, that, that minimizes sin. If you are defiled, if God's people are defiled, if we are sinners, then, then actually everything we do will be tainted by that sin in some way. And that, that approach to God minimizes our sin and reduces God's grace. It's a kind of a got him approach to God's grace. Um, I wonder, um, there's a question on the screen. What, what do you think will turn on the taps of God's blessing in your, in your life, in, in our church's life, in our nation? Maybe we think, well, actually, I've read my Bible the last four days, you know. Surely now God's going to give me the things that I want. The things that I'm praying for. Maybe we think, well, we're, we're a faithful church. You know, we, we try and teach the Bible and, and preach the gospel. Surely that means God will, will bless us. Or maybe we think, well, I've done my good deeds this week. Now I can expect God's blessing to come whatever we think that might look like. We've, we've given to charity. We've put money in the collection plate. We've done uh, the deed helping our neighbor. Now, God, surely you're going to bless me. Surely I can expect to receive your blessing and your favor. Well, hang on, Haggai says. Uh, that's a got him approach to God's blessing. Uh, and it minimizes our sin. It thinks we can just do the right thing and, and kind of forget about our sin. And it reduces God's grace. No longer is God's blessing poured out on us in grace. uh, But we're treating it as if we can do a few steps and God's blessing is poured out upon us. And so Haggai uh, begins to teach these people. And this is the the kind of our kind of a second point. The, The pattern of the Christian life is always repent and believe in God's grace. The pattern of the Christian life is always Repent and believe in God's grace. Have a look at what Haggai says uh, again to the people. Verse 15. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Considered how things were before one stone was laid on another in God's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and olive tree has not borne fruit. Haggai is getting them to look around at their situation. They were meant to read the warning signs as they looked around at their economy in Israel amongst God's people. um, Things had not been plentiful. There had not been fruit. And, and Haggai says, um, this is because you, well, you haven't returned to me. 
verse 17. I struck all the works of your hands with blight, mildew and hail, yet you did not return to me. Returning in the Old Testament is the language of turning around repentance. Uh, And that idea is picked up in the New Testament as Jesus calls us to repent and believe in the good news. Um, Repent uh, is a kind of can be a bit of a jargony Christian phrase. Uh, We might think of kind of um, people standing on street corners saying, repent, repent, repent literally just means turn, means do a 180. And, And becoming a Christian is about repenting, turning from your sin, acknowledging your sin and turning to Jesus, trusting in God's mercy. This is what God's people hadn't done here. They hadn't repented and believed. They weren't practicing repentance and faith. Um, They were acting like they could just turn on the tap of God's blessing. Uh, And Haggai reminds them that the pattern of the Christian life is always repent and believe. Um, Repent and believe in God's grace. Um, They haven't done that. They haven't returned. They're still acting like they've got a got him approach to God's blessing. Uh, Actually, if we've understood the gospel, then we will be walking in lives of repentance and faith. Not because we think that will somehow turn on God's blessing, but because actually that's the right response to who God is. Um, Here's a quite challenging quote that I came across. Um, The danger for most of us is not that we wake up one day and decide not to be Christians anymore. More likely is that gradually, little by little, Christians get out of the habit of acknowledging their sin, turning from it and leaning on God's mercy. We don't stop calling ourselves Christians, but instead we gradually live by a different gospel. I wonder what you make of of that quote. Uh, The the, the writer is pointing out that actually sometimes we, we gradually, little by little, move away from that pattern of repentance and faith. And instead we kind of turn uh, the gospel into a kind of a got him approach to God's mercy, where we can do the right thing uh, and so, or somehow God's mercy, God's blessing will flow when we are being the people uh, that we should be. But actually uh, Haggai and the rest of the Bible reminds us that actually Um, we are just called to repent and believe, to keep turning from our sin and trusting in God's mercy. That's what God calls us to do. Not just as we become a Christian, but as we keep on walking the Christian life. Martin Luther, one of the great reformers who kick-started the Reformation in the 16th century, he basically said that the whole Christian life is repentance and faith, turning from sin and trusting afresh in God's mercy. This is the pattern of the Christian life. And Haggai calls the people of God back to that. And so then that brings us to our last point, And this is, takes us to verse 19. Um, God's blessing is always a free gift of undeserved grace. God's blessing is always a free gift of undeserved grace. You see, the people thought that if they could just do the task, get on with the task, then they had a right to God's blessing they were entitled to God's blessing but but Haggai said well that minimizes your sin do you not see that actually you need God's undeserved grace do you not see how big your problem is and as we come to the New Testament we see God's mercy uh, and God's holiness meet in the cross of Jesus as God provides in Jesus 
a way to be, to be right with God again. Uh, not through us doing the right thing, doing the right task, ticking the right boxes, filling out the right steps, but by receiving the gift of Jesus Christ. As Jesus goes to the cross, a swap happens and our sins are laid upon his shoulders and God's judgment falls upon Christ. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he bears the wrath of God against our sin. Uh, But the swap goes two ways. We are clothed with Jesus's righteousness. So as God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, but instead sees God's, uh, Jesus's perfect life. This is the free gift of, of undeserved grace. And so God's blessing is always a free gift of undeserved grace. We're not to think that we can somehow turn the tap on, press the right buttons, do the right thing, and God will bless us. Haggai is giving us a lesson in how God's grace is a free gift. Um, have a look at verse 19, right at the end, this, the last half of it. Um, the last words of this passage, uh, amazing words. God says to his people, from this day on, I will bless you. From this day on, I will bless you. God brings them low. God shows them the reality of their sin and how this is something they can't escape. They can't kind of work their own way out and says, actually, when you realize in that low place, the reality of your, your sin, then you are in a place to see that God's gift, God's blessing is a complete free gift. I will bless you, says God, not because you've done the right thing, not because you've lined everything up, not because you're uh, faithful in these different activities, not because you've had a good week or a bad week, but because of my grace. It's all grace. It's all of grace. That is very much the Bible's approach to, to life. Everything is gift. Everything is an undeserved gift from the Father of grace. And that humbles us, doesn't it? That humbles, it would have humbled the people as they heard this, as they saw actually, just because they were getting on with the task, it didn't mean that suddenly um, uh, God saw them as, as good. Actually, as we, it's as we turn and trust in Jesus. That is how God counts us as righteous. As we put our trust in Jesus, receive his free gift. It's all grace. It's funny, isn't it? Sometimes we talk about the free gift of God's grace and we're very good at emphasizing how it's free to us. We don't have to do anything. We just have to receive it. But it's worth pointing out that it's also free to God. God's, God's, God freely gives us his grace. That means he doesn't, he's not obliged to do it because we've done certain behavior or done certain things. The point is it is free and that God is free to give it. Uh, he's, his hand has not been forced. Uh, he's not um, uh, kind of been a genie that we've rubbed the lamp of and we've said the right wishes and so he has to act. And so as we think about this great project of temple building, building disciples, the way actually we seek God's blessing is not because we're getting on with the task, because we're doing it the right way, uh, because we've, we've prayed lots, because we've read our Bibles lots, because um, we've had a good week or a bad week. Actually, the, the only way God will bless our work is, is because of his grace, because in his mercy and his love, he chooses to. Uh, I love the book of Ephesians been reading it a little bit um, these past uh, few weeks and um, two verses that kind of stand out from the first couple of chapters that just shows us this this character of God this free 
uh, gracious, giving character of God. In chapter one, Paul says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And then in chapter two, as Paul talks about how Christians have been raised up from death to life, why, why has God done it? He says, because of his great love for us, God of his God who is rich in mercy. Um, so I wonder, do you sometimes drift into thinking that you kind of have a got him approach to God's blessing? Do you sometimes think perhaps deep within that actually, if, well, I've done the right things this week, God, I, things haven't been as bad as they could be. And therefore, surely you're going to you're going to bless me. Uh, surely I can think of, of of you pouring out your blessings on me more because of the way that uh, this week has gone. Uh, or maybe when you are discouraged and you are very aware of your sin, you think, well, actually, you will receive less of God's blessing in Christ. Um, Paul, Haggai and Paul tell us, actually, it's all grace. As we repent and trust in God's mercy, trust in Christ, God freely gives us his blessing. Uh, it's all of grace. And so as we get on with the task of making disciples, um, here's the question, how free is your God to bless that, that task? How free is God to bless us? Um, his kindness is completely undeserved. He has shown us his kindness. He has shown us his heart to bless and show mercy. And so we get on with the task, not thinking that this will somehow uh, turn God's hand, uh, but because it's all of grace. So let's just take a moment to perhaps be quiet and be still and just reflect on how God's word challenges us from these verses. Maybe it is that kind of got him approach to God. Maybe we have lost sight of how uh, the Christian life is, is repentance and faith. It's turning from our sin and trusting God's mercy. Or maybe we need to rejoice afresh that God freely blesses. It is a complete gift. Everything we have. Father God, we join in with the Apostle Paul and say to the praise of your glorious grace, which you have freely given us in the one you love. Jesus Christ, pray that as we get on with the task of making disciples, that that would be our motivation, that would be at the forefront of our minds, that your grace is at work, not because we act, uh, but in spite of our often sinful, often um, uh, mixed motives, you're a God who loves to bless and we praise you for that, that we might have the joy of seeing you work uh, despite and in spite of what we're like and we rejoice in that in Jesus name amen well we're gonna um turn to sing again uh, and we're gonna sing of God's grace just to finish our time together on Facebook live and this song speaks of how God's grace has been poured out for us at the cross of Christ <laughs>